intro? And welcome to the Sound of History podcast. Did you forget podcast. our name first? Yes, <laughs> I did. Good. My name is Buttface, and this is Beavis, and we're going to tell you about some music and some history. Buckle up. His name was definitely not Buttface. <laughs> I don't know. It was Beavis and Butthead. Listen, I came up with Buttface before I came up with Beavis. <laughs> okay. Leave me alone. I'm surprised I know that. You think I was allowed to watch that as a child? No. Well, you didn't know it. You got the name wrong. I knew it. You can follow us on Twitter at Sound of History underscore, where I, Nicholas, have been posting my thoughts about music. That's done now, though. The 100 Greatest Albums, we're done with that. So now I'm not really posting anything on there. But since we're not posting, you can look back and see the the recent stuff. That's, That's not true. how Twitter works. No, but you can. It's still probably pretty close to the top, so you can go see my thoughts on a, on Rolling Stones' hundred greatest albums of all time. You don't go to someone's Twitter, really, do you? No one does that. Not often, no. But you can go to our YouTube, where I have been posting stuff. That's right. Yeah. So. Which is Sound of History underscore yeah but i mean i don't know if you can find it that way i don't know that's just our channel url name search sound of history fleetwood mac and it will come up probably yeah (laughs) and he's been doing or blondie this day in music history shorts and i haven't done that a lot it tells you about that day in music history and and about your most influential albums of all time for you Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Pete Best. That was the most recent one. I don't know who that is. Is that Pete Davidson's older brother? Yes, because they brothers the share first the first name. name. <laughs> <laughs> Not the last name. Yes. <laughs> Pete Best was the original drummer of the Beatles before they broke out. Uh, anyway, you can go check time, out that content. It's time for the mini podcast. You do it. No. Yeah. <laughs> this whole podcast da, is going to be my da, da, da. Nick is the host now. <laughs> I'm always the host. This doesn't work this way. I'm the host now. Oh, you're going to read the script? You want it, You want that responsibility? No. Okay, well then Mika Nick is the host is now. Nick is the host now. <laughs> it's you. Okay, well then we're just going to go right into no. it. No. <laughs> Do the thing. I don't I don't have any. This is I not my job. I never have anything. My job is everything else. This is your one <laughs> this job. This is your job now, son. Buckle up. I, I have nothing. What are you excited watch, about? Go watch soccer games. That's what I'm excited about. What MLS happened has in started. soccer? I mean, nothing's happened. They're just fun. We beat Atlanta. That was fun. Yeah, Atlanta sucks. That's all I got. We're going to see Billy Joel soon. So that'll be fun. Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks. Excited about that. And All Time Low and Mayday Parade the day before, which will also be fun. And soccer the day before that. Yep. I'm going crazy. <laughs> going? Hey. I feel like you've been going crazy for like two years. I have. It's been longer than two years. <laughs> it's been approximately six. Okay. Well, How's that feel? I am no longer the host now. Nick is no longer the host now. So do you not want to do Mika's the host? No. We already did that segment. 
Okay. First time without me because the host now. No, it's a, it is, we just flipped it, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, it feels strange. No, it's a, it's a flip. It, <laughs> it's not strange at all because we just did it, but we did it flipped. Mm, okay. Stop making me feel weird about it. <laughs> I am uncomfortable. <laughs> Everyone is. That's the <laughs> No. Okay. Well, do you remember what we talked about? Weeks and weeks ago, whenever the last time we did this was. We're in the 80s. Yep. We've done one genre in the 80s. No, I don't know. It was hair metal and Motley Crue. That's right. That's right. That's right. We're keeping it in that same kind of vein, like very different feels, but they're both rock-oriented music. And this is a genre that kind of took over the 80s and is still very popular, but it's kind of loosely defined and a little bit more vague, which I know you love in your genre episodes. I like clear definitions of things. Yeah, I don't think this has that. What do you think of, though? If you had to give it a definition, what is your definition of alternative rock? Well, I listen to a lot of alternative indie rock, so that's where my first mind thought okay, goes. Well, how would you describe that then? Well, it's completely different because it's indie rock versus alternative rock. Like, Colony What's House is different than whatever the hell we're going to talk about. <laughs> how so, though? Like, what do you think the difference is? I don't know. Newer sounds and... Okay. And musical structure and song structure okay so what makes it alternative as opposed to just rock music i feel like there's less of a idea of mainstream music now than there was before like i feel like you have mainstream pop and then like you don't really have anything else that's like mainstream so hip-hop but yeah okay 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 yeah, I mean, so I think like that's... So, like, if there was, like, a mainstream rock thing going on, and mm-hmm. it's like, this is the other, uh, like, yeah. option. That is kind of what I was going for. Alternative means just, like... Alternative? Yeah. Like, <laughs> not mainstream. <laughs> it's a different way of doing stuff. But alternative rock, like a lot of the genres that we've been talking about since the 70s, is more of an umbrella term than it's actual... than, like, an actual definable genre. It encompasses most of the punk-inspired rock that emerged in the mid-80s. The main hallmark and defining feature of of alternative rock is its rejection of the mainstream. Sort of like punk before it, but less political and more musical. Since punk was less about the music and more about just, let's be angry at things. So I'm going to like this. More than punk anyway, probably. Alternative rockers rejected pop music and wanted to do their own thing. Mostly because of that, most of them ended up on independent labels instead of the major labels. By the 90s, that started to change when the alt-rock genre became mainstream, as they always do. Alt-rock just makes me think of Sail. With the cat jumping out the window. Alright, yeah. I think it's funny about the... Sail! I think... It's funny when we talk about these genres and it's always like this genre came up as like a re- like a reaction against this popular genre and then it became popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now there's a new reaction against that. And it's like, I don't know. It's just funny how it's all 
all cycles. Everyone likes to be different. Yeah. I'm not like the other girls. <laughs> That's true. I don't listen to hair metal. That's true. You don't. In terms of what genres fall under alt-rock, there's not really a definite list. Everything from Britpop to indie pop to gothic rock to grunge to pop punk could all be called alternative rock. What? Why you look confused? Is this where we just start to throw pop in with rock and it's the same? It's always kind of been the same. Pop rock has been like, that's like basically what the Beatles were. I don't know. Like it's that's true. Rock is essentially just pop with a guitar. That's kind of how most rock is. That's why you have to kind of like subdivide it into like metal and all that stuff. When alternative rock started in the mid to early 80s, the bands mostly played tiny clubs, released music on their own or through small local labels, and spread mostly through word of mouth. So like now? Yeah, but we mostly spread through social media. That is word of mouth. On a much grander scale, though. Like it's easier to spread through word of mouth when you can post a video and have hundred thousand people watch it like imagine trying to walk out there and tell a hundred thousand people about mr wives that's gonna take you a long time oh but i could do it <laughs> but it'll take a long if, time if like there was no time constraint and i just had to eventually get that number i i would make it there okay i wonder how many years that would take me a while unless you just like not if i like ramp it up street preachered it and just stood on broadway yelling about them then i you would could, you could hit a couple thousand a night that Ooh. way and so we just invented street teams wait what that's been happening for a while like little indie bands have street teams of people who will go around and like post posters of their shows and like spread the word about these bands so it's a thing that has been happening See, it seems like if it's a job, then I don't want to listen to you. It's not. It's a volunteer thing. Oh. Yeah. Like you just become like. Still, if it's organized, I don't want to listen to you. If you're official, (laughs) then like, why are you talking to me on the street? If you're a stranger, I'm not going to finish that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a strange girl, we're good. I don't think street teams are all that popular anymore. I just remember them back when like I was in college with all the pop punk bands, like they would have their little street teams who would just do stuff. I don't know. I was never part of one. I don't know what they did. Anyway, alt rock in that sense was very similar to like the early punk rockers in New York and California. They had their own scene in their own lane and they basically just kind of stayed within it. More than the anti-commercial and grassroots legacy, alt-rock owes almost its whole existence to punk. The indie labels that fueled and grew punk music sprung up in the 70s to release that kind of punk music that major labels just would not even touch. So, keep all of that in mind as we talk about alt-rock, where it came from and where it went. It's already out of my mind. (laughs) Great. We're doing well then. Most of the alt-rock bands were based around guitar-driven music accompanied by bass and drums, the traditional Beatles type of rock band. As opposed to the other bands of the time, the like heavy metal and new wave bands who were using a lot of keyboards and synths and did not 
those didn't really factor into alt rock at all. I do say I. Are you not gonna finish the thought? Since belong in everything. Yeah. I love synthesizers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're so fun. Yeah, they can Ooh, be. Ooh, jazz with synths. That would be an interesting situation. Ooh, hey, someone be. do it. I think that's just funk. Oh, it is. <laughs> I was right. It is an interesting situation. <laughs> A lot of the alt-rock bands drew heavy influence from bands that came directly before them, like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath from the metal scene or Minor Threat from the punk scene, or bands like The Smiths from the early emo or whatever you want to call them scene. Minor Threat, top tier band name. It's great, especially top for tier. a punk band. Top tier. <laughs> like 100 out of 10. <laughs> wow. It's All a right. pun. It's a good name in general. Mm-hmm. Like it's a music pun. Yeah. Every, top tier. Every time I hear it though, I just think about Good Charlotte. I don't know why. Because they have a lyric. I think it's in the anthem where they say, I'm just a minor threat, so pay no mind. And it was like an homage to that band. That they, they deserve to be homaged. So that, that every time I hear that name, that lyric just plays in my mind very briefly. It's a good name. What do you think about the Smiths, though? Everyone's name is Smith. Exactly. That's why they're the Smiths. Do you know much about that band? No. They're, they're interesting. They're very like, they're the like godfathers of emo. Basically, they're very moody, very sad, very strange. Them and Joy Division are kind of like the godfathers of emo. Okay. Joy Division sounds like Ted Division. Okay. <laughs> Just saying. Alt rockers also harnessed the restless energy and the do-it-yourself attitude of the punk scene. Most of the members of these bands grew up in the 70s in the midst of the super catchy pop melodies of the Beatles and Beach Boys and those type of rockers, or the heavily produced albums by bands like Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or even like Queen, even though they might have been a little bit later. All of it seemed so watered down to them. They, like the punk bands before them, longed for something that wasn't conventional. They thought their style of music would be unpopular. They always planned for it to be unpopular, which it was, at least for a while. As the genre grew up, some bands bridged that gap between underground and pop-friendly, but we'll get to that. How dare they? <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't be punk. Girl boss, gatekeep, gobsmacked. Oh boy. <laughs> That's a lot of words. <laughs> It's only three. Okay. The actual term alternative refers to the fact of these bands' status within the wider music world, not the style of their music. It referred to the fact that they weren't mainstream and commercial. They took the alternative path. Which, you know, can kind of guess. So, ready to take a look at where this genre came from? The it, births of it? It came from people... Wanting to be different. Sure. We're not talking about more and, historically. And what's the emo called again? What? Um, the band or the genre or the feelings? Genre. Pop punk? No. 
I have no idea. Punk. Okay. <laughs> In 1979, in San Francisco. Oh my God, that's so long ago. Not really. In 1979, in San Francisco, one of the larger California punk bands, the Dead Kennedys, created their own record label called Alternative Tentacles. I don't like it. <laughs> okay. I don't like it. It's too tentacle porny. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think that was a thing back in 1979. I'm sure it was. Eh. I feel like that's a more 2010s thing. Anyway, it was created specifically for the purpose of releasing their song California Uber Alice. Uber. Yeah. But they recognized the potential of an independent label and started to release songs by other bands as well. They released the self-titled debut album of a band called Butthole Surfers. (laughs) That was a good one. (laughs) They actually became pretty popular in that like underground punk scene. That was a good one. Very memorable. A lot Very of... Very gay. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be the same gender butthole. Every gender has a butthole. Still. All right. <laughs> a lot of people point to this as kind of the foundation of the alternative rock underground record label explosion. But they weren't the only ones doing this. There was also SST Records, Twin Tone Records, Touch and Go Records, and Discord Records, just to kind of like name a few that were out there. In the 1980s, alternative music started to spread mostly through college campuses. College radio stations and fanzines were basically the only things talking about this type of music back then. They formed an essential part of breaking this music out. Occasionally, a song like might break through to Rolling Stone or maybe get a little bit of airtime on MTV, but that very rarely happened in the 80s. The bands of the early 80s never generated much impact on the larger music scene in America, but they had a massive impact on the bands that came after them, the ones that would end up shifting that music landscape. Two bands from this era that are most notable are R.E.M., who we will talk about in the next episode, and Husker Du. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> not R.E.M. R.E.M.'s not no, good. No, R.E.M. is boring. Husker Du. Husker Du <laughs> is attention-grabbing. It is it's goofy. True. It is Husker D, Husker Do. It reminds <laughs> you of a dog. Okay. There are so many benefits to Husker D. Husker Do. Husker, Husker Do. <laughs> There's also one negative, and that is the fact that I would absolutely just say sounds and think I was saying the name. Yeah, which all names are sounds. But I know what you mean. <laughs> not the right ones. Sounds are names. <laughs> Husker Du were a punk band formed in St. Paul, Minnesota, when a college freshman named Bob Mould met a sales clerk at a local record store named Grant Hart. There was so much Minnesota that just happened yeah. here. Bob Mould and Grant Hart in St. Paul, Minnesota. Were they really big? Really big, tall? Oh, I don't know. Isn't St. Paul it. where Marshall's from? No, he's that's from St. Cloud, Cloud, which I don't know if that's a real place or not. Maybe it's supposed to be St. Paul. Well, the show is in New York City, and that's a real right. place. And Ted's from Cleveland, which is that's a real place. That's a real place, too. So maybe it is. I don't know. But I've never heard Robin's of it other from than Canada, though, so not, not real. real. <laughs> uh, so Bob Mould and Grant Hart met at a local record store. They bonded over their shared love of the Ramones and recruited a couple of other friends to join a band. I know those. Yeah, we did talk about the Ramones. But they ended up not liking the sound of the keyboard in their group, so they just kind of became a three-piece. 
Their name came from trying to play a Talking head song, Psycho Killer. You know that song, right? Everyone knows Psycho that song. Psycho Killer! Yeah. Run, run, run away! Right? Yeah. Good. That song has a French line in it, which they couldn't remember, so they just started shouting any foreign language words that they could remember. I think that's great. That's camp. <laughs> that's good. One of those foreign phrases was the title of an old board game, Husker Du, which means, do you remember, in Norwegian. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. By 1980, they were performing in some clubs around Minneapolis and were known for their primal and chaotic sound. Well, I need to go back, actually. Okay. Why do they know about a Norwegian board game? Who knows? Uh, okay. Maybe one of their ancestors were Norwegian and they had it. I don't know. I like it. Maybe it was more popular than we think. So, yeah, 1980, they're playing some clubs around Minneapolis, getting known, getting a little bit of, a little bit of local traction. And they were kind of like one of the first hardcore bands in the Midwest, which has a very deep hardcore scene. So they kind of started a lot of that. That's so nice. But by 1983, they were tired of that hardcore style, and they were kind of being pigeon-held into it. So bassist Bob Mould said, quote, We're going to try to do something bigger than anything like rock and roll and the whole puny touring band idea. I don't know what it's going to be. We have to work that out, but it's going to go beyond the whole idea of punk rock or whatever, end quote. He sounds pretentious as hell. Oh, yeah. And also, why did he not take the prime opportunity to be like, you can't fit me in a mold? <laughs> like, my guy. That's true. That's how it, you know that he's pretentious as hell, because it's right there, and it's really funny and goofy. That's fair. I'm starting to realize I thought that their name was Funny Goofy, and really it's... So, 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 like, like, I know about this thing that you don't know about. It's foreign. I know foreign languages. Maybe they just like the sound of it. I don't, <laughs> don't read their motives into it. Anyway, the anyway. next year, they recorded a concept album that was released on their indie label, SST. It was ambitious, especially considering the punk purist attitude of their scene. Like, remember we talked about in the punk episode. Girl yeah. boss gobsmacked. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's the other one? I have no idea what you're referencing here. What? I don't know what you're talking about. Gatekeep girl boss go, go piss girl. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Where is this from? The internet. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I missed it. I, don't, I have no idea what that is. But this album really started to open the punk scene up into something more indifferent than just the same old sound. It paved the way for the alternative music that came after it. The album, in some ways, combined punk with folk, which is how a lot of people describe the sound of alternative rock. It yeah, was, that's what I said. I said punk with folk. When you <laughs> asked me, I said, yep. that, that really is just punk with folk. Yeah, yeah. you can rewind, re-listen to this episode if you don't think she said that. That's right. I said it. This album was hardcore punk, but it was a bit more melodic and musical. Here's the opening track called Something I Learned Today. I forgot that we listen to music. So. I feel like you say that quite often, which is always surprising to me. Well, they got umlauts.
Gotta be in the mood for it. Not long after that, they realized they'd reached a sales ceiling with their indie label and agreed to move to Warner Brothers. After getting Warner to agree to let them have complete creative control over their music. Their first album with Warner was their first album to hit the charts, but it couldn't get any higher than 140. And it's also... I think we might talk about it later, but like them going to Warner, they were one of the first like underground bands to do that. And it just kind of made that something people could do and get away with. Gotta make that money, honey. After that album, the tensions between the two founding members really boiled over and at least in Grant Hart's opinion, directly resulted in the suicide of their manager. Oh God. What? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the reasoning is behind that but that's what grant hart believes whoa dude so bob mold took over manager duties which really did not help ease the tension yeah that seems like an awful idea (laughs) yeah it's terrible during their 1987 tour hart was trying to detox from heroin and the vocalist didn't think he'd be able to play while going through withdrawals so he canceled the shows hart quit four days later and that was officially the end of Husker Du. Bummer. By 2015, after several solo projects, Hart and Mold were in talks to have a reunion. But in 2017, at the age of 56, Hart passed away from liver cancer. More bummer. Bob Mold released a statement that called Hart, quote, a gifted visual artist, a wonderful storyteller, and a frighteningly talented musician. Everyone touched by his spirit will always remember, end quote. Like that's a nice little tribute. Yeah, it is. Husker Du is a little-known band at this point, but their impact was massive. They are called the missing link between the punk scene and the more melodic college rock that emerged in the late '80s. They were also one of the first, if not the first, band from the indie scene to sign a major label deal, which opened the scene up to more of that in the future. A music writer said, "Quote: Husker Du played a large role in convincing the underground that melody and punk." weren't antithetical end quote thank you thank you thank you thank you that literally influences like 80 percent of the music that yeah we listen to today <laughs> that's true like god bless thank you very much <laughs> we'll talk more about how rem put their own spin on punk to kickstart the alternative rock scene in the next episode but they were arguably way more important than husker do husker do were just like the first to do it and then rem like exploded it but we? We'll, get, we'll get there Yes, by doing that over and over. By the end of the 80s, alternative music really started to gain a foothold in mainstream music. The underground scene and the college radio stations were dominated by a few bands, like the Pixies, They Might Be Giants, Dinosaur Jr., and some bands from the British punk scene. Dinosaur Jr. is good. Pixies is good. Mm -hmm. They Might Be Giants. Mm. Average. It's not the worst I've ever heard. But They Might Be Giants. It's not bad. It's just not good. I think it's hilarious. Like, imagine, like, you don't know who they are, and you just think, well, they might be giants. And then they come out and say, it's like, ah, they're not. But could have been. You never know. It gives me, like, 5.5 to 6 range. Okay. Maybe, maybe 5.5. I'm going to land on 5.5. Out of 10? 
5.75 out of 10. Okay. That's fair. In 1988, Billboard officially created an alternative rock chart, which is kind of the sign that your genre has made it. The first number one song on that chart was by a British band called Susie and the Banshees, but Susie spelled how no one would ever spell it. That's going to be like a two or a three. That's fair. And the song is called Peekaboo. Here is Peekaboo. I'm scared. By Susie and the Banshees. Assuming that's Susie, it could be something weirder. I think it's Susie because it's like kind of how you would spell like roux, like a French roux. Fun little music video. That's a, Susie and the Banshees. That's absolutely not it. Yeah, I don't bad. enjoy that one either. Very bad. Uncomfortable. Which might be the, what they're Before going they for. started the song, when we were just vibing, like the <laughs> the like the like music video was mm-hmm. doing all the cool little like like animated stuff. Like cool. Good. Downhill <laughs> after that. So by the end of the 80s, a lot of the indie scene bands were starting to sign to major labels, which really marked a shift in the direction of the genre. We talked about this a bit in the hair metal episode, but the major labels were in search of something fresh and new. So they were pretty quick to grab up any of these indie bands that they could find who had a sizable enough audience and they thought that might have like a unique enough sound. Especially because they could record albums for very little overhead, so they didn't need to generate massive sales to turn a profit on them. Which is the same thing we saw with, like, Punk, which is how the Ramones got their first album made. Because they realized, we don't really have to sell much of this to, like, justify the cost of it, so. These indie bands gave them some hipness in the youth culture, so even though they wouldn't be, like, Michael Jackson level of money, they'd still have a little profit and help their image. That was the idea behind the major labels bringing them in. In 1988, Warner Brothers signed a band called Jane's Addiction. Have you heard of Jane's Addiction? I've not, but that's also a... a, Like, I like that name. I have positive reactions to that name. I'm surprised you haven't at least heard that name before. That's surprising to me. They're pretty big. Maybe I had and I just thought it was about a person named Jane. Maybe. I mean, it's not surprising that you don't know any of their music, but like I thought you might have just like heard Mm -hmm. the name. Kind of like Pink Floyd. Like I. Do they put it on shirts? (laughs) I'm sure they have Jane's Addiction shirts, yes. I've never seen one. (laughs) Okay. Jane's Addiction was formed in 1985 when frontman Perry Farrell, Farrell, Farrell? It's F A R R E L. For real? <laughs> when Perry, 
his previous band disbanded. The rest of the band was from that like Hollywood heavy metal and hair metal scene, and they were actually named after Perry's housemate, Jane Bainter. Banter? B-A-I-N-T-E-R. She was kind of the band's muse as they were getting started. Originally, Perry's girlfriend suggested the name Jane's Heroin Experience. Oh, bad. Dump her. But Perry felt that was a bit too harsh. Yeah, that's awful. (laughs) That's really bad. Side note, Jane, the real Jane, did eventually get clean from heroin and is still living in California. Let's go, Jane. Let's go, girl. She's lost touch with Perry and the rest of the band. She says that the story of Jane had a happy ending. Good job. Good job, Jane. Jane's addiction quickly became a massive hit in the L.A. club scene, and they released an album that they recorded live before they signed with Warner. Their first album, Nothing Shocking, did pretty well, despite the lead single not getting any MTV airplay, because it featured nudity. Which is feels like a bold choice in the 80s, but okay. There are teasts. Teeth? There are teasts. They're artists. Artists. Okay, I thought they are teasts. I was like, what are teasts? And how are they that? <laughs> artists. <laughs> it's uh, hard word to say. Yeah. By 1991, the disputes within the band had reached a boiling point and Perry officially left, which signaled the end of the group. They've since had several different lineups and reunions and are still out there touring in one form or another. Here's their one of their most well-known songs called Jane Says, which, as you might guess, is about Jane's heroin addiction. I wonder how Jane felt about this band just talking about probably not great moments in her life, <laughs> naming themselves after that. It's like a weird thing. Jane's addiction is credited with really opening up the mainstream to the underground rock world, them and R.E.M. They were massively influential for so many different bands and are seen as one of the forefathers of grunge music. Before they split up, Perry had one more idea for his band. He wanted to copy England's Reading and Leeds Festival. Reading and Leeds Festival. It's Reading, right? 
I have no clue what you're talking about. Reading and Leeds Festival. It was like one of the earliest and most long-lasting festivals. Like music festival yeah, or food? Like music, like Woodstock. I'm sure they have food there, but it's like Woodstock. Oh. Uh, but he wanted to copy that and do his own as kind of like a going-away show for Jane's Addiction. But unlike Woodstock and the other festivals, he wanted this one to tour across the U.S. and Canada. Huh. Which... That's not really the idea of a festival that was just already, like, a no. thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he put together this massive touring festival with diverse music. Jane's Addiction was the main head- was the main headliner with Susie and the Banshees, but also Ice-T and Nine Inch Nails were also performing on the festival. Weird. It was like this massive gathering of the best in the underground music scene. Okay, that's fun. And they called it Lollapalooza. Stop. It was the first show of the Lollapalooza Festival. Stop it. And it happened in Phoenix, Arizona. Stop it right now. Nope, that's where it came from. Oh. (laughs) So the first one happened in Phoenix, Arizona, and it ended in Seattle, Washington. Dave Grohl, who I'm sure you know. I do. Drummer of Nirvana, singer of Goo Goo Dolls. No, singer of Foo Fighters. Always get them confused. <laughs> uh, he caught the show near Los Angeles and said, quote, It felt like something was happening. That was the beginning of it all. By that fall, radio and MTV and music had changed. I really think that if it weren't for Perry, if it weren't for Lollapalooza, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. End quote. By the start of the 90s, major labels were in love with the possibilities of the alternative scene. Two radio stations, one in Boston and one in L.A., finally caught on to the trend and started playing alternative music. In 1986, MTV started airing a segment called 120 Minutes, which was all alternative rock. And that would kind of eventually become the springboard for success in the genre. It's different than 60 Minutes. I think that was the play on the name oh okay because it's the alternative of 60 i don't know i don't know why they came up with that 1991 became the seminal year for the alternative scene because nirvana released nevermind and catapulted grunge straight into the mainstream before nirvana grunge was just one of the many different subgenres that were all lumped together under alternative rock now grunge was its own thing I'm sure we'll have a whole a whole episode on grunge and Nirvana, so I'm not going to really touch on it much here. But it's important to note that the exposure of grunge and how that forced the indie scene into the spotlight really kind of changed alternative music. After all, if a band as good as Nirvana was hiding in the underground world on an indie label, then who else were we missing out on? Literally, that's just music. <laughs> yeah. That's just how people get popular. That's just yeah. how it goes, unless you're a Nepo baby. True. There was something different about Nirvana, though. We'll get to it, but I don't know. They were like one of the few revolutionary bands who weren't trying to be revolutionary. They were like, we're just going to make this music we enjoy making. And then the whole world was like, this sounds so different and cool. Uh, and then they just kind of like changed everything. That is that is definitely different. I do like mm-hmm. that. It's one of my issues with REM, like if in Radiohead. My issue with mm-hmm. Radiohead is it feels like they're trying to be too revolutionary. Like mm-hmm. they're trying to be different and unique and artistic. And Nirvana's like, meh, we're just going to, we think this is fun. We're going to do it. 
That is that is something to be respected. So as you might expect, some bands push back against the commercialization of alternative rock. Thus, indie rock was born. Wait. What? <laughs> what? They're different? Yeah. They're different subgenres of kind of the same thing. But how how are they different? Well, indie rock was kind of always around, but it became the genre for the bands who either could not or would not make the transition into the major labels. So it's just the oh. difference between popular and indie, basically. Okay. Or mainstream and indie. Okay. The indie rockers believed that it was virtually impossible to mix the indie rock sound with the commercial appeal of the major labels. For most of the 90s, the American indie scene was dominated by indie rock groups put out by indie labels. That's Here. such a weird concept. Like, no one else will appreciate this mm-hmm. music. Like, what? Yeah. Right. Do you want people to listen to you? And why do you think that the things that you like, no one else likes? It's very egotistical. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I also might just know, like, eh, I just like making this, and it doesn't sound like everything on the radio, so it probably won't make it there. I feel like that's a reasonable thing to think. That is. You're right. But if you specifically set out to be like, no, my music is not going to be popular. Like, that's weird. That's a weird attitude to have. Yeah. Here is one of these indie rock bands called Pavement that formed in Stockton, California in 1989. And here is their song, Stereo. By the mid-90s, the sound of alternative rock started to change. Notably, the death of Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam losing their lawsuit against Ticketmaster started to impact things. Ticketmaster. Right. Ticketmaster is always just doing Ticketmaster shady stuff. I have no clue what that lawsuit was about. I think the same similar stuff. And they eventually, like, it led to Pearl Jam basically being blackballed in arenas because Ticketmaster owned all the arenas. so Or didn't own, but, like, owned the ticketing process of them. Oh, screw them. Yeah, well, well, I'm going to repeat myself, but I'm going to read the script anyway. Uh, so, as a result, Nirvana, the talisman of alternative rock music, broke up, and Pearl Jam, one of the biggest bands of the decade were basically blackballed from playing any major venues by Ticketmaster. So in the late 90s, grunge became post-grunge. I need to know what you mean by blackballed. Have you not? We've talked about, we've literally had this conversation. Blackballed. That is a very common phrase. No, it's like blacklisted. No, it's blackballed because it was like a vote or something. You would get a blackball out of a bag and that would ban you from things. It comes from McCarthyism and the communism scare. It sounds like blue balls. <laughs> it's it's a very common thing. The thing that people say is blacklisted. Nope. Not Black everyone knows McCarthyism <laughs> like you do. I 
that's where it comes from. People still know that blackballed is a thing. No, there's no way that other people say blackballed. Well, Everyone says blacklisted. Like, I don't doubt that it's a thing, but like, am I wrong? Am I ignorant? <laughs> I mean, I am, but like about this, <laughs> no one says that. Blackballing is a rejection in a traditional form of secret ballot where a white ball or ballot constitutes a vote in support and a black ball signifies opposition. Yeah, but blacklisted is when you can't play places or go somewhere. Sure, but like it means the same thing. They both they're the same thing, the <laughs> same concept. Blackballed. Because I think that's how people were voted out of their organizations back during like the communism thing. The communism thing. The communism scare. The red scare. <laughs> that whole communism thing. <laughs> Sorry, continue talking about the blue balls and Nirvana and all that stuff. So in the late 90s, grunge became post-grunge, which lacked the underground roots of the grunge bands. Is post just like not including Pearl Jam? And Nirvana. But it's yeah, it's just like... We'll talk about it more, I'm sure, when we talk about grunge. But, like, grunge came from the underground scene. Post-grunge didn't. It came from bands who were inspired by those bands. So, it's like... It's a little bit different. It's BC like, and AD, it's like post-death of, like, Nirvana right. and <laughs> Right. It's, it's kind of like the, the difference between bands like Blink-182 and fallout boy or all-time low where it's like blink 182 came from the underground skate punk thing and then blew up in the mainstream and then the bands that came after them were like all right and like kind of mimicked that style and didn't have to come up as hard through the indie channels channels that blink did anyway Sorry, you're trying to like wrap up this essay and make yep. a point and I am <laughs> absolutely just blackballing it. <laughs> just blackballing it over here. Oh, wait. No, I'm blueballing it. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. No. You still talk. It's good. Post-grunge was much more commercially viable, and it, but it was still, still had like the introspective quality that grunge music had. A lot of critics saw post-grunge as derivative and not an authentic rock movement. Honestly, who cares what the critics have to say at this point? Shut yeah, up. That's fair. By the end of the 90s, bands like Smashing Pumpkins were still releasing massive albums, and the emo and pop punk scenes were starting to take off with bands like Blink-182 and Weezer getting massive airplay. It's so funny to me that we're at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, not quite. This is end of 90s. We still got we still have a lot of 80s. 80s to get through in the early 90s. Got hip-hop to talk about. That's born between now and then. Yay. Um, ska punk started to get massive airplay thanks to bands like Sublime. Why is it called that? Ska punk? Mm -hmm. I mean, ska is a music genre that's very like reggae inspired. So mm. you just take that and mix it with punk and it's ska punk. And it gives us who? I mean, Sublime. Sublime. I don't know if you've heard them. Yeah. Okay. Really, you could spend forever digging into the weeds of the alternative rock scene. Okay. I just kind of wanted to give some highlights. I think wherever there is popular music, there will be alternative music. 
there will be bands and artists who just don't fit into that mainstream pipeline. And now with how easy it is to record and release music, we probably have more alternative artists now than like ever before in history. Mm -hmm. So go out and find your favorites and support them however you can. Yay. And that's alternative rock. Next week we, not next week, it's old habit. We haven't been weekly in two years. But whenever our next episode is, we will talk about REM. Were we ever weekly? At the start, yeah. It led to some not great episodes because we just did not want to do it, but we still did it. But I think we were not weekly within like six months of starting. But REM is a band that I did not know a lot about, so it was very interesting getting to Mm -hmm. learn more about them. Didn't realize they were had such deep Georgia roots, but they do. So it was fun. Okay. Assuming you don't really know anything about them? Nope. All right. Well, that would be a fun episode. Woo! Do you have any last thoughts on alternative rock? Huskadoo. Husker. Husker do. Husker do. Husker do, husker do, husker. Me, husker you. Or my dear,